This is Melissa Hale Spencer returning for the second part of our story swap on the eve of Founders Day, the first Founders Day for Altamont with people that had long memories gathering in Altamont's central gathering place, the Altamont Library. And we're starting off with acts of generosity because the last story we heard was of Ev Rao and the community pitching in to inch by inch move a carriage house. And what we hear throughout these stories are two things that seem diverse but really come together. One is people's memories of the village as a self-sustaining place with its own grocery stores and shoe shop that also sold penny candy. And all the things needed to sustain a community, and at the same time, how interdependent the people were. There are stories about kids that were just let loose to play, not like the orchestrated activities we have for our children today. If they came back by the church bells, all was well. If they waited till the whistle blew, they were in trouble, but other neighbors would look after them, not their own parents, almost like a tribal upbringing. (laughs) If something was awry, they would hear about it from someone in the village. So we're going to launch into the stories now. Sit back, close your eyes, and go back in time. Does anyone have any other um, acts of generosity in a small village that come to mind? The train, the train station that we are yes. in. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> thousands, Go thousands. and tell us about that. Tell us about that. That's part of the history now. Well, probably a lot of the people in this room helped to renovate it and love it. And it's very touching to me. It is. Yeah. Well, it I love this. I, I try to get there every day just to help, you know, because it was so much fun. And then people would come in and say, well, can, can we help? You know, everybody come in. And one woman always made cookies. Did you oh, that, use yeah, she always, <laughs> that was her job. And she fueled the volunteers with her cookies. She kept That's us right. going. <laughs> That's right. But it was a wonderful uh, thing of love. That's what it was. You know, just wonderful. And you, as you can see, it's just a beautiful library. It is, and it's a true community gathering place. Are there any other sort of community gathering stories, maybe about churches that were important to you during your times growing up or living here? That's one that often people have stories about. And I see the microphone is going to Mary Elario. I think one of the greatest things in in terms of the spirituality of Altamont and the churches is the ecumenism. Mm that was always here. I mean, all three churches would do things together. I mean, we would support each other. I remember Everett Rao on his, you know, his crosses, we would always have the Good Friday, we would walk the cross from whichever one of the three churches was hosting the Good Friday service, we would walk it up and they would, you know, mount it in front of St. John's. The churches have been used for preschool, for, you know, half the kids, both my kids went to Altamont Preschool here in the village. Um, Vacation Bible School, which has been always been an ecumenical. All three churches have worked together on that. So I think that, you know, I can say, oh, yeah, you went to Altamont Reformed or you went to St. John's, but 
those lines kind of got blurry because everybody just all three churches just came together so much to do things in the community and with each other that there wasn't that denominational breakdown that you sometimes see in bigger cities or bigger places. That's oh, what I remember that because what started the ecumenism for the Bible school is <coughs> Keane Hilton at the Lutheran Church and Jim Reed at the Reformed Church said, let's get together to do Bible school. So we started out with the two churches and a couple of years later, we talked Father Welch from the Catholic Church into joining us. And I was over there one day talking to one of the little kids on my knees, and he says, that's what I like to see, you Protestants kneeling in our... <laughs> <laughs> that was Father Walsh, and dog. Father Walsh and dog. Oh, yes, dog. We had church suppers to support our churches, and Father always came with his dog. And the dog's name was Dog. dog. <laughs> and he always remember. came and sat under the table. He came to dinner. He would sit under the altar at Mass. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Older memories of Altamont that maybe nobody else would remember. I don't know. When I first came here, there were three hotels in Altamont. One of them was on the corner of Prospect and Western Avenue, and it was, it was a really big one. And when I, it was closed. It wasn't where this was in 1928. But up on the, near the roof line, there was a big black hole. The, the, there'd been a fire, and it was closed. And there was another one that I don't know how many people even remember is the, was the Creekside Hotel. And where was that? That was on um, at the end of Lincoln Avenue and back along the creek. And that that was a good sized hotel too. And then that also burned. And that had that was an adventure for me. I, as I said, I lived on Western Avenue, and I was in the upstairs bedroom facing when all the commotion I started to hear all the all the people and I stood by the window and I yelled for my father I just yelled daddy and they heard they must have heard the child's voice and yeah I didn't know it at the time but evidently for they kept searching because they thought there was a child in that hotel. Oh. We didn't know about this until afterwards. What they had heard was my voice calling for my father. But anyway, then there was another hotel right along the railroad track here, which... which right here, Pardon? Main Street. That one? Right up here? Right behind the... Right by the railroad. Yeah, it was the where the little shopping plaza is yeah. there, and it went right along the railroad track. The people say it was a hotel at one time, yeah. but when we were kids and everything, it was used mostly for railroad workers. And there was a, a turnaround for the trains here at the time, and so there were shifts changing and so forth and so on. And they, and they stayed in there, and later, years when it was no longer used for that. Uh, I know of one family that lived there, and that, that was uh, Keen Hilton's cousins, Ginny and Florence Hilton. 
And they also, at one time, lived over in the Creekside Hotel. But anyway, none of those places are here anymore. Actually. No, but, and it must uh, have been very different. Uh, people coming to Altamont well, for the hotels. Well, it, it, uh, it was a place for uh, visitors from right. the city came out here to this area and to the hill towns. It was a great uh, vacation area. Where Stewart's is now uh, was Severson's Tap. It was a tavern, it was a village post office and everything way back. And eventually it became a home. The Gage boys grew up there, remember? Oh, you mean the place where Seward's is? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was it was the first post office in Altamont. I didn't know and that. it was called and Severson is certainly a name known here in Altamont. Yes. It was Severson's Tavern, really. And it was the stopping off place for go people going up on the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we had where the Chevy dealer was. We had a car dealer here. My father always across from the post office. Oh. Yes, we always had to buy our car there. And they had horses that so rent their carriages to take people up to what became La Salette Seminary, but was uh, you know a hotel at the at the height of the. Rage of growing Altamont as a Victorian vacation spot. What was it called again? Pushaqua. Yeah. Talking about places that aren't anymore, I made a list of few things. Ward Ackerman. Remember the big fire at Ward Ackerman Lumber Company? Oh, yeah, that. But we had a hardware store, we had a department store. Yep. AMP. AMP. Uh, library was on, uh, was with the post office in the Lanehart yeah. yeah. Maple Avenue. Uh, we had a grocery store, Croupies. We had a, uh, a shoe repair store with a woman named Hel Helen, who, who had candy, candy candy, and the kids loved, let's go see Helen. Yeah. And, uh, paint store, what else? Uh, oh, had on Southern Sonico over the Ethel station on there. Ethel, who ran that on the corner of the Jefferson Temple? West Fall car dealer, car dealer, uh, Penguin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right down. Uh, on the way in, Ron's Auto Garage, and, uh, and they're all gone. And in Gilt, the yeah, the, uh, the drugstore. Yeah. Armstrong Tell us about that, Lois. When we first moved here to Altamont, John Armstrong had a dairy, and it was on Brandle Road, and it was on the honor system. There was a big yellow legal pad and a cigar box. You wrote down what you bought and how much money you put into the box. And if you didn't have your money, you just put an IOU. And the next time you came, you just put the money in, and that was it. He had ice cream and milk, and I don't know if he had cream, but it was all in the honor system. And I came from Brooklyn, so I was absolutely <laughs> astonished. <laughs> That's wonderful. Oh, yeah. 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 
on Prospect Terrace when I was growing up, they had a um, what do you call it? Uh, where our horses are shooed? Yeah, right oh, here, Blacksmith. just, Blacksmith. just oh, beyond, beyond the corner mm-hmm. on Prospect. Meaning there were still horses in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, and another thing, we used to go outside and play on, in the road uh, and in the evening and, and play, kick the ball or whatever. Happy. Because the well, traffic the was so slow. came down this Helderberg Avenue. Oh, oh yeah. boy. Yeah. <laughs> and during the Depression, because we were coming down, you could not possibly stop, really. Yeah. We tore our toes out of all of our boots coming, <laughs> shooting down that hill. I think they took bets to see how far they could go. Yes. <laughs> if we could get it to the, if we got all the way to the railroad tracks, we were considered top. Wow. <laughs> So, Jean, you had something yeah. more. I just wanted to add to some of the things Mr. Holly said. Um, all the time that I was in school, in other words, between third, 1930 and 1940, I've made a list like Mr. Holly did, and uh, I thought of all the things, that they were all here at the same time. We had, as you said, a drugstore. We had three grocery stores. Yeah. We had an AMP, we had a buy right and a grand union. We had two, uh, what they called newsrooms, yeah. garbage lots where the, the Homer Cafe is, and there was one in the Lanehart building also. I guess they sold newspapers and magazines. Oh, we had Williamson's Meat Market on Maple Avenue where the little park is now. What? Do you remember that? What? Williamson's Meat Market. Yeah. On Maple Avenue, where the little park is now. But uh, we had the three stores. Now I got lost. But anyway, we had two bowling alleys. But the... And we had the paint store, we had the, the Enterprise, of course, and Becker's shoe. I remember shoe, when Mr. Oh, Becker, Minton Becker, had the shoe store. He was also the uh, caretaker of the Lutheran Church, he and his family. And as you say, Williams' meat market was right across the street from where the mayor used to live there. And it was, I think at one time, it must have been a barn or a shed or something, but it was in the position from the street where a garage would normally be. And it was about the size of a two-car garage, maybe, a one, one floor. But it was, you, you wouldn't notice it. In other words, it was done with the thought what people have now to keep the village the way it look, should look. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that little meat market was and I can remember my mother Maplewood Inn it was a lovely little Italian restaurant next to the fire department which had all room for one fire engine you mean the grill (laughs) barber shops barber shop it was a barber shop when I first moved here in the Lanehart building the the center was sort of like a five and dime store it was they had a little bit of everything but there were even some clothing of different kinds and it was but as I say it was like a sort of like a Kresge's or a Woolworth's or something like that and 
tried to think of all the other things. But they that said must have was, given you quite a bit of independence as a child. You know, you were able probably to walk to these stores if oh, you we wanted were, candy we were or free you wanted to go anywhere we wanted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that's very different than today, where kids are transported by their parents to all these kind of planned activities. I mean, if you have any kind of memories about the kinds of things you did for fun as kids, it sounds like that would be a good time to share them because. You had independence. Kristen? Uh, Mom, did you not tell me that there was like a cider place over on the, that you would pass on for oh. ma- making cider? Yeah. Well, getting way back to where we're walking to school, the way we went from Western Avenue, we walked over Lincoln Avenue, and then we went over Lark Street, and there was a, I don't know, I think it must have been like a cart track at one time, but it was like a lane or a something that ran right along the creek. And, of course, Ackerman's place was right there, and I don't know if he ran this thing or what it was, but there was a cider mill there. Mm -hmm. But we walked that lane down there, and it went to the school street, right to the high school. But in the fall, this time of year, there was a cider mill there. And that was great. And I think they did some uh, uh, mill work stuff, too. But uh, there was the soda pop factory down here. Dietz's, pop Dietz's Soda on the corner of um, Park, Street. Park, Street. Park Street. down Right down here. Right. And uh, the building, he by the time we came along, I mean, in, in the 40s, he, I think he'd stopped, but yeah. all during the Depression and everything, yeah. it was he bottled the soda pop, yeah. and that's why everybody called it pop, because it was Pop <laughs> Dietz's store. <laughs> Before we moved here, we came out from the Bronx. I'll tell the story about the enterprise. This is the Howie speaking. Dick, and now he's handing over to his wife. We lived in a three-room, four-flight walk-up apartment in the Bronx. We had two babies, 15 months apart. And Dick had just finished school, so we came up here and rented the duplex on Severson Avenue, and I grabbed an Enterprise to go back to New York with. And I was sitting in our apartment reading the Enterprise where I read that Mr. Bill Smith was doing very well, having just been uh, discharged from the hospital where he had a hemorrhoidectomy. And and I said said to Dick, heads up, we're going to a place where... (laughs) 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 But our our children loved Altamont. They would go out the door from, from our house out the door at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we would not see them until the 5 o'clock church bells if they came home on time. And if not, if they waited till the whistle, then they were in big trouble. But they are out in the woods and everything. We didn't see them from morning till night. It was wonderful. Also, also our son didn't like some of the people who lived here because... They, whenever they saw them going across the tracks or something else, they would call them, call us, and and uh, tell us they saw Jim, you know. So when he got home, he said, "Jim, we want to talk to you." So there was like everybody How was watching. The children were independent, but yet they had 
sort of a large family watching. I used to love to ride my bike in Altamont. Um, and like you said, we were pretty independent because everything was right here. It was a big deal to collect bottles and go up to croupies and redeem them for, you know, a nickel or whatever it was. And Helen Becker's, I mean, that was heaven, you know. I mean, you could get enough penny candy to make you sick for, for a quarter. I mean, it was just, even though it smelled like shoe leather every time you walked in the place. But that reminded me what uh, Mr. Howie said was, I can remember once riding my bike in Altamont. And I think at that time, it must have been young enough that mom and dad said, you know, don't go off Lincoln Avenue. You can stay on the sidewalks, but, you know, I don't want you on Main Street, you know, too busy. And sure enough, we just decided we were going to ride where we wanted to ride. And somebody that knew my parents saw me on Main Street and goes, ah, I saw Mary riding her bike on Main Street. So, yes, everybody watched that for everybody, and I heard about it when I got home. I would come here in the summers in the, uh, in the 50s when my grandparents, both sets, lived one right next to each other. And so we would come for two weeks, and the word would be out that the grand, Hungerford grandchildren were in town, and they would give us little treats, and they, you know, we would go have ice cream at the A&P store. I think that's where it was. And, um, but you really did have to be good because it would get back to both sets of grandparents very quickly if you did something wrong. Well, another thing that's been mentioned is food. You had your noodle and apple prize winning. Did people have memories? Because I have a sense that people used to cook more um, than picking, you know, sort of picking up takeout or doing the, do you have like memories of family dinners or special picnics or any kinds of food that stay with you from your... It's just so different now. I mean, it's, it's not a big deal to go out to dinner or to go grab something, whether it's fast food or even to go out. I mean... When I was growing up, I mean, granted, it, you know, it was in the 50s and 60s, but if you went out to dinner, it was a really big deal, and, and most moms were home then, you know, and it was a different time. I mean, my mother was home every night when I came home from school, and, you know, she made us breakfast and packed us lunch and cooked us dinner, so there were a lot more home-cooked meals and, you know, various memories. My grandparents lived with us for a while, and they were Polish, so we had some Polish dishes <laughs> along the way, and... And that kind of thing, but I just think it was it was a much different time back then. You didn't; it was a really big deal. I mean, I remember going to Hellman's Movie Theater on Washington Avenue Extension, mm-hmm. which is not there anymore. But you used to get all dressed up when you went to the movies. I mean, it was just it was a big deal. You know, it was a different time than, than it is now. Yes, it certainly is. Sure. So Meg has something. I just wanted to share one of my favorite memories as a kid. I think in part because the food was so unusual to us is my my folks and some of their friends would all kind of pitch in together and we would have this massive clam bake. And they did it for a number of years. But the food was so unusual for us. It was such a treat and it was... um, and all of these families got together and it was an all-day event and the moms would get together in the morning and they'd put the clam, the the bags together and then all of the, the extended family would show up and we'd get to see people we hadn't seen since the last clam bake. But it was, it was, you know, uh, just a huge social event that still sticks in my memory. Carol, tell about your Christmas teas. Carol, Wait, Christmas oh, teas oh. and what you made. But can we just hear from Mary first? Because when Meg was talking, I saw Mary tapping the table <laughs> like a memory, was, a memory was boiling up. And then we'll hear about Carol's teas. I in the summer, our church would have a picnic, 
it was way out in Bern, I think. We everybody went in their cars, and we had the. It was the was annual light sulfur, light sulfur Springs. Thank you. Yes. And uh, oh yes, it was a grand. It was a grand party, but it was something people always look forward to. Yes, it's an event. It was. And Carol, now you were going to talk about your teas. Well, uh, yes. Well, it all goes back to the community spirit here. When the railroad decided to get rid of the train station, a number of the families in the village, including ours and the Cowleys and several others, bought the train station. And my husband had a law office here. This room was his law office. And uh, every Christmas I would have a Christmas tea here. And uh, everybody, you know, it was just open and uh, cookies and stuff and people would visit and it was great fun. But then we sold it to the village for a dollar <laughs> and then they didn't want it. And the library is here and that's wonderful. Thank goodness it got saved. Well, so are there other holiday memories that come to mind? Um, that was a great Christmas memory of this open house tea right here, but were there other traditions, either in your own home or in the village? Um, Fourth of July fireworks at the fairgrounds. Oh, tell us about that. It was just so much fun because you could just walk over to the fairgrounds and you know, put your blanket on the lawn. You didn't have to drive down to the plaza or anywhere else. It was great fun because it was right here. You know, it was, you could go and watch the 4th of July fireworks at the fairgrounds. Are there other holidays that come to mind? Well, you know what happened to that, the fireworks there, is the fire department put them on. And they had, of course, we used to have a wonderful grand, covered grandstand, and it was quite an event. But one year, it's rained so hard that they really couldn't get them off. And all the people that came were stuck all over the place in the fields in the mud that they gave up. And it moved downtown for because people would come from Albany and every place for this big fireworks show. But having been stuck in the mud, the firemen were towing cars out, and it was a great mess. So... They decided no more fireworks in the fairgrounds. Well, I don't know. It's, we're sort of winding down. If people came like you had specific stories from Newt, or there stories you came with that really need to be said before we're closing out the first, as Joe called it, story swap session. Is, are there well, when my parents built their house, I mean, there wasn't a lot of houses on Lincoln Avenue. Mr. Warner, I think, owned most of Lincoln Avenue, and they bought the property from him. But I can remember them telling me this was after the war, because my father served in the war, and my mother was also served in the Navy in the war. She was in Washington. But I can remember them telling me stories about the things you couldn't do, like they could only have one bathroom in the house at the time, because, you know... The war, it was after the war, and certain things were still rationed, and, you know, their house was a kit, you know, it came in a kit, so I can, they were telling me how they would built this house, putting it together, and, but, and then over the years, of course, they built the upstairs, and put in a second bathroom, and put on an addition, but I can remember them saying that certain things you just couldn't do, you know, you couldn't have that second bathroom, you had to, you know, have certain small things, that I'm not sure if it's because it was after the war, or... Or what, but you know, that's the house I grew up in on Lincoln Avenue. And after that, there was lots of other houses that were built 
um, on the same street because they sold the lots I think, one by one. And someone had remembered how cows were grazing there. So, it, yes, it was a transformation. Are there any other final thoughts? Well, I that just wanted to say one thing that involved the Hungerfords, you know, um, because during the war we had rationing. And since we lived outside, I mean, we lived in the village limits, but we were way out there. So we got chickens every year. They would come to the post office, and you would hear, you know, and we'd go down and get our chickens and take them home. And the idea was we would have meat. My father had been a farm boy, but he couldn't bring himself to behead a chicken. So every time we wanted a chicken, we got Ike Hungerford, her father, and Ike, being a farm boy, would chop off the head of two chickens. So they got one, and we got one. My father would pluck, but he would not chop. But that's great working together. I love that story. My father did. That's great. I have a fireworks story, older than any of you, what you have told. But when I was a kid. Over in the Western Avenue and J Street section in there, at one time there were 17 children just in those houses, and we counted them all up. But what we did was uh, the fathers or the families, whatever, would put money together on the 4th of July, and somebody would buy the fireworks for the whole shooting match. And we would have fireworks. We go down the uh, the lane, well, the end of uh, Schoharie Road there. And uh, one of the teachers, Doc Clark, lived down there. There were only two or three houses down there on the one side then, but there and the rest it was open fields, and we would all go down to to this this area, and we would have a Real well, well, we thought was a real fireworks display, and uh, but that we had that almost every Fourth of July, as long as I remember growing up in that house. But that was our big Fourth of July celebration. <laughs> that sounds marvelous. We had a uh, Girl Scout club. Oh, it's where the. What is there? It's now the VFW. We bought that house, the Girl Scouts, at one time. And we had Girl Scouts and Brownies, and the Boy Scouts had Cub Scouts, and it it was um, a nice. I remember painting, don't you? Careful. It seemed to be, we were, I'm sure we were very protected, but uh, there wasn't so much to worry about in those days. It didn't seem so. You could be outside on the street after dinner or supper and uh, not have that worry about being taken away or what have you. It was a nice community. Were you a Girl Scout? I was. We were. Oh, you were too? (laughs) So did you do good deeds in the village? Uh, Are there things we should hear about? I suppose. (laughs) Cookie sales. Oh, oh my, yes. Gracious. One time we got very competitive, and my husband was selling them for my girls. And when they came along, and he sold over 100 boxes. So a, a lady in the village who was head of the Girl Scouts at that time was um, Grace Kimmy, 
and Grace made Harry a great big trefoil cookie to award him for being the top Girl Scout cookie leader. Everybody did everything. We did everything together. Yeah, that was it. I remember ice skating on Schilling's Pond down behind the VFW. Before they filled it in. Well, that, that was where we Girl Scouts. That was, that was the Scout House. Yeah. Well, where we were on Lincoln, we could go down our backyard because right. we had a very deep backyard and cut right through and go right down over, you know, to the ice skating on the pond. Mm-hmm. I think my mom had some stories about what it was like on Halloween in the village when you were young. Oh, oh I would love to hear that. Oh, this is a real. Oh, we have one old stories, don't we, Jean? <laughs> there were. The pergola in the park was a two-level one at that time. And my father, this was in when my father was in high school. He graduated from Altamont in so, like what decade? Sixteen. From and he and the two Whipple boys from up on the hill. I don't know if you remember Bob yeah. Whipple and and a man named, another friend named Charlie Cornell, who lived in that beautiful brown house on the corner of, what's the name of that, Sand Street? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And my father, uh, well, the Whipples and my father were uh, George Hilton from below the village. They managed somehow on Halloween to plant a, Manure spreader wagon <laughs> on the top level of the pergola in the park. <laughs> How did they do that? I don't ask me. <laughs> I always ask my father that question, and if anybody remembers my father, he had kind of a twinkle in his eye, and he would just look at me and say nothing. <laughs> so whatever happened to them or the manure spreader or anything else I don't know because my father never would say <laughs> in the 1930s um, the village a guy that turned out to be my uncle but his name was Aaron Curtis and he graduated from high school here 10 years before I did but anyway he was a great jokester and he led a group of guys uh, for Halloween, they went around the houses all around the village and took one or two shutters off each one. <laughs> and the park had an iron fence railing, and people woke up on Halloween uh, the day after, and here were all of these stacked all the way around the park on the railing. And, and they all looked had, the same. And they were, no, everybody's was different, but they had to figure out whose yeah. was what and where and then return them home, you know. They were very proud of themselves, very proud of themselves. And another time, there was one gentleman here in the village that nobody liked. I won't name him because later we became very close friends. But everybody thought he was horrible. The kids thought he was horrible. And he was always yelling at the kids. So on Halloween, they went down and they took his front steps off. (laughs) And they put a pile of the same manure in front of that. And then they rang his doorbell and beat it the heck out of there. And of course, he came running out screaming and going down the steps and of course, stepped right in the pile of manure. So that was another one that Aaron led into. So this was an era, I'm assuming, when the police weren't called. This was considered pranks, right? Oh, we didn't have police. 
Our very first policeman was who? It was uh, uh, Whipple, Bill Henry Whipple's father. Was it? And, I think Bill was our first And he had a first motorcycle. Mm -hmm. first yeah. Police. Howard Deal, yes. Well, Howard came wheel. over and Howard Pratt said, and right. he with his horse. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Howard, Howard Deal. The police. Who was the first? Do we have any memories, fond, I hope, of the policemen in Altamont? Well, my husband was a personal story. We lived on Grand Street, and uh, my husband was a judge, and it was fair week, and some young man had acted up at, at the uh, fairgrounds, and uh, Howard Deal was bringing him... Uh, into um, the house to, uh, I don't know, have Hal decide what's gonna, what was to happen to the boy. But uh, that was something that didn't happen very often, I'm glad to say. Mm. Yeah, well, we he did have somebody come in once, and he was, to, he was gonna, my husband was gonna marry them, this gal. And uh, she was uh, it, with the father behind, uh, with a, uh, a shot, not a shotgun. Right. He might, he might just as well have, because his daughter was out, quite obviously pregnant. But I thought, oh, I had prepared a, the wedding song, you know, a wedding song on the piano, <laughs> and that all got dissolved. That that never happened. I couldn't play my. I couldn't play You practiced the wedding march yes. to no avail. No, couldn't do that. My father was the first village justice, and so he did a lot of weddings, and we have one like that. He was out in the garden, and I was helping him down on what's now Bosenkill Road, but was Pangburn at the farm, and we were working in the garden, and this car came up, and this very elderly gentleman with a walker yet, and this younger lady with a big bouquet of flowers, I mean a corsage of flowers came up and they wanted to be married and they had the, the uh, wedding license and everything. And he still had a hospital band on his oh, wrist. Oh my. And he was in his 80s <laughs> and my father said, I think she didn't think he was going to last long enough because my father said, well, let me change my clothes so I'm clean. <laughs> so, oh, no, 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 now! <laughs> so it was a desperate wedding. I didn't think the, judge, the groom was going to last very long. I don't believe. My mom said the winters were much different then than they are now. How it's so? Are the winters are much different now than they were then in terms of the amount of snow and what winter was like? Oh, yeah, I guess you probably remember the big snow drifts that were up as high as the first story roofs of the houses and everything. But other than that, I mean, it's, they seem to last a lot. didn't have a lot of snow plows. Hmm? Out where I was, they didn't go to do the snow plows much. We were on dirt roads out there. Mosin yeah. Hill and Pangburn were dirt, dirt roads. I don't and remember that. And if we wanted so groceries down here in the village, my mother and father would have to pull a toboggan. And they had such drifts that I was on the back of the toboggan, not on it, but behind it, was, we all had snowshoes. 
with a rope to keep it from hitting them when we went down the downsides. Oh, that was clever. <laughs> <laughs> because we went down here to the supermarket and got our groceries and then to get a walk home again because that was the only way we could do it. That was one nice living here at one time because it had all the, everything you need. You didn't even have to leave Altamont to, to get things. That seems to be a reoccurring theme of the evening, this self-sufficiency and interdependence at the same time, which makes for a wonderful village. I don't know if there's any final word anyone wants to have. Maybe going along with that is the Reformed Church every month has a community spaghetti dinner that where people are welcomed. It's, there's no cost for it. And we hear lots of stories of people who come in and enjoy visiting with one another or someone who has been sick and is finally able to get out. And uh, that, to me, is kind of the heart of the village also. That's a lovely ending. So the tradition carries on. (laughs) Well, thank you all. Thank you, Joe. This has just been marvelous.